my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the HR Sound Off podcast show. I am your host, Julie Turney, and with me today is Aubrey Blanche. Aubrey, thank you so much for joining me. I cannot tell you how much of a fangirl moment this is for me. I've been following you for some time. Um, I am a huge fan of Culture Amp, and I am a huge fan of you, and just the two of the combination together. And I remember the last time we spoke and you told me your story about joining Culture Ant and how you stopped them. And I was like, that's how you go after what you want when you're looking to work somewhere amazing. Welcome to the show. How are you, you doing, my friend? <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, however I was doing, it's multiplied by a thousand now because I get to hang out with you on the podcast. Yes. You know, that's always good. Our uh-huh. second podcast, technically. Technically. We like, to, we like to think of the first one. It was just a warm up for all the fun up. we're going to have for everybody today. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Thanks to Hurricane Elsa, I lost the first episode. So, Thank you, Aubrey, for agreeing to be here and have this conversation with me again. I really think it's it's super important. I'm going to give you a few moments to just tell our audience who is Aubrey Blanche, what is your HR origin story, or in your case, your DEI origin story. (laughs) Yeah, so um, my DEI origin story probably starts when I was a little kid. So I was a kid who was just obsessed with the concept of fairness. And so I'll tell you this story that my dad, uh, he told it at my wedding for some reason. Wow. (laughs) Typical dads, typical dads. I had borrowed a book from my dad. I must've been six or seven. Uh You know, I like, it was a game I played. I like stole a book from him and tried to read it before he noticed. Oh, wow. I was a weird kid. (laughs) And and so I I came to him with this book and I don't even remember what the fact was, but I was like, dad, this isn't fair. Uh He's like, well, Ob, the world's not fair. And I just got so angry at him. And I said, what a lazy thing to say. And so I think I've always had a little bit of that just built into me. But my journey to DEI really came when I joined the tech industry. So for folks who, if they can't see me, um, I'm Latina, but I'm very white passing. So I'm very fair skinned. Yeah. And and so like people think I'm I'm just white all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I'm mixed race. And so when I got into tech, it was just so white. It was so homogenous. It was so male. And I started asking, like, I mean, the most basic question I asked is like, where are all the Mexicans? Because I was in California, I'm Mexican American. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that I was going to have community more. Um, And so the answers that I got from at meetups, at companies, Mm -hmm. was this idea of like, we're a meritocracy. Mm. And that's both racist and mathematically impossible at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I just got really motivated. You know, I had done previous work, graduate work as a social scientist. So I was trained as a political scientist. And so that was the moment that I really moved into DEI. Yeah. I am um, 
I decided that I had a, you know, this social science toolbox that I could use to try to change things. And Mm -hmm. for me, I I couldn't justify doing something else once I was more conscious of these patterns. So, um, you know, it was that for me. And then I spent five years at Atlassian sort of growing and scaling their organization. And then Mm -hmm. yes, um, for everyone on the pod, uh, Julie is right. I actually sort of chased CultureAmp down. I like came in, I pitched a different job than they were hiring for to the CEO and like explained to him why he spec'd the job incorrectly. Yep. Yep. And I was polite. I think I like uh-huh. to think I was polite about it, um, but it ended up being a good fit. And so I've been at culture amp for about a year and a half working on both their HR and sort of cultural transformation strategy, mm-hmm. as well as starting to help the business think about what technology products and how we think about using our products to drive equity for our customers. Right. So I get to look at people and product in my job. You do. And one of my favorite things about you is you describe yourself as the math path. Yes. Can you tell our audience what, what that means to you. <laughs> yeah. So I always say that like, I'm the math path. It's like my Ziggy Stardust, but you know, not quite on that level uh-huh. <laughs> by a couple orders of magnitude. Okay. Tinkerbell. But, <laughs> but when, when I say that I'm a math path, really what that is, is it's meant to convey this idea of I'm a math nerd. So deep into analytics, statistics, rigor, but then also an empath. So I also think you have to bring a deep sense of empathy, humanity, respect for dignity Mm -hmm. to this work and I think when you don't have enough of either of those the work just isn't as successful and that's certainly true in DEI but also HR more broadly absolutely and you know what is so really heartening to hear you say because you know when you think of an analyst or you think of um, anyone who is dealing with numbers and I always go to auditors and accountants Mm -hmm. You just think of people who are very straight, no personality. No, they just see numbers. The numbers tell a story. Numbers don't lie. And it is what it is. But the fact that you put the, the analytical side and the empathetic side behind the numbers is truly inspiring for me. And so I am so grateful to be having this conversation with you, honestly, much, oh, much, well, much you. respect, much respect for you. And I, I love that. I, well, I like to think we can all be math paths, right? You know, I would hope to think so. I it always annoyed me when I heard HR professionals say that they got into HR because they don't like math. Because if there's anything about HR, it predominantly is math based. It's, as you interpret data, as you're looking at financials, as you're looking at business strategy, there are numbers everywhere. Like, you can't avoid numbers in HR. So yes, I would like to think that everyone in HR should be a math path. And, and you really have um, set the tone for hashtag math path. So our conversation today, we especially around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, a lot of times I'm having this conversation around race. But diversity, equity, and inclusion is a lot more than that. Um, Mm -hmm. When we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I want to ask what that means for you. Yeah. So I think it depends on like breaking it down by letter. So I think when I, I'm someone, I don't know if I said this on the last podcast, but I actually hate the word diversity. Yeah. And, and we've talked about why, but the reason is because it's this euphemism that people use to mean black people, but mm. it actually means white women. 
And so I think it's a blurry term that actually gets in the way of what we mean. So when mm -hmm. I think about diversity, what I'm thinking about is full representation of historically marginalized individuals within mm -hmm. a space. So certainly diversity can just mean difference, but I think that we lose a lot when we just look at it as difference as opposed yeah. to difference crossed with that access piece. Mm -hmm. And that's what connects to equity, yeah. right? So equity is this concept of fairness or justice. So it's an experiential concept. Yes. And I really, really believe, and this is my sort of discipline of what I call equitable design, is that by focusing on this concept of equity, which, you know, we've kind of moved from DNI to DEI, which yes. I think is a great move. Uh -huh. um, we focus on creating procedural justice mm -hmm. or process equity, you know, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. we end up achieving the outcomes of diversity and inclusion. But mm -hmm. I actually think when we get like obsessively focused on diversity and inclusion, we tend to take shortcuts that don't make sense. So where I see this the most often is like people getting tokenized. Yes. Where people are worried about like, oh, well, what if like everyone, the number one thing when we say, you know, we want to diversify this or we want to bring more balance to this, people say like, oh, we don't want to lower the bar or, oh, but we have to be careful about qualifications. And like, first of all, that's an incredibly discriminatory thing to say, Absolutely. Um, right? But, but also it means that people might just like pick the next person of color that they see and be like, oh, I'm gonna, like, you see people doing that. Yeah. Or they just put people on panels, but they haven't actually taken the time to look at that person and from a point of view of equity, understand the incredible value and skill set that that person is bringing to the opportunity. Yes. And so when you focus on equity, you're more likely to meet someone by recognizing their advantages and their historical marginalizations, but you're more able to see them as a whole person, mm -hmm. um, which I think is really important and often gets lost as Absolutely. so much as, like it, it turns into this counting heads exercise. Yeah. Or like we want to get one of everybody in the photo. Yes. <laughs> and it, I think like, that's, that's so sad. I've seen that, I see that happen all the time. Like I am in a I'm in a couple of Facebook groups that our HR professional base and especially in the ones with the people of color I always hear them say uh, I heard this one person come in the group and say recently that she was told after being hired as head of DE&I she was told by the person who was on the panel that she was a token hire first of all how dare you say that to someone but this is this is happening in 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 corporate America. People are ticking boxes, but then to actually let someone know when they've been hired that that's the purpose of their being hired, and they will not be able to get access to do their job effectively, kind of like truly defeats the whole purpose, right? Well, it does. And the thing that like infuriates me about the most is that person probably has incredible gifts yeah. that they're bringing to that organization and they will be completely missed because those people don't know how to recognize talent when it's in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing, and this is not my particular motivation, yeah. and I imagine most of the folks who listen to you, probably not theirs, but right. also it's just stupid from a business <laughs> perspective. I shouldn't say yep. stupid, actually. That's an ableist term, but it's, uh -huh. it is, it is uninformed. It is yes. unwise. It is, 
it is just irrational mm-hmm. um, to do that. And so that's the other thing that I think is in the context of, I'm sure you're feeling it, we're in the middle of the great resignation. Yeah. You know, yeah. everyone is scrambling for talent, for people with capability. And so for me, the, the, business justification. And I put that in quotes, the case is only getting stronger to be excellent at equity. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And as we talk about that word, the great, that buzzword, (laughs) the great resignation, like I feel as we think about missing, losing talent, losing top talent, I think a lot of organizations are not realizing that HR professionals are also in this group of people who are starting to leave and recognize that we're not getting what we need from organizations so that we can be great. And therefore, we need to move on to organizations that are going to allow us to do what we want to do. And I think a lot of people are starting to think like you, Aubrey, in terms of Let me think about where I want to work. That's a really great place. Let me try to market something that I think they need and try to make it happen that way. Or people are leaving without a plan B. HR people. I have so many HR people who are leaving without a plan B because they just realize they got to get out of there. Whatever is happening in their organization isn't working for them. Yeah, I mean, I see that. And I think it's coming down to when we talk about the great resignation, like part of it is that people are moving jobs because I think everyone just wants to change yeah. after what, you know, a very difficult um, 18 months for a lot of people and yeah. more extreme for some. Mm-hmm. But I think part of it is also that people are reevaluating what's important to them. And so I think in many cases, if there's a job that doesn't have meaning for someone or they're not able to have the positive impact that's meaningful to them, yeah, people are switching. You know, we've seen it. Um, We've seen it where we've had, you know, at Culture Imp, we've had folks who left who were great team members, were super proud of the time they spent there. But, you know, we've had coworkers who left because they, they are really passionate about health tech. And, you know, they wanted to go work in the healthcare fields, for example. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, we also have hundreds of campers around the world who, because our mission is about making the world of work better. And we know how much of people's lives they spend at work. So how much of a positive impact we can have. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons Culture Amp has been successful Mm -hmm. is because we are a mission driven company. And I think that's what we're going to see is sort of post the great resignation. My prediction is that companies that are mission focused Uh are going to be hit less Mm -hmm. by these trends because I think people are more easily able to find meaning and purpose in the work that they do. Um, And I want to talk about that and what that looks like for you uh, in your role and what that looks like for what you're trying to achieve at culture. Because belonging is very important. So what does that look like for you as an as a professional working at an amazing organization like Culture Amp? What gives you that sense of belonging and how do you transcend that? Yeah, so I would say that for most of my career, I haven't had a sense of belonging at work. Mm. And especially that was especially true when I started getting into DEI work. Yeah. And the reason for that is because when, even though I'm minoritized in multiple ways, so I'm Latina, I'm a woman, I'm queer, I'm disabled. Um, and so, 
And so I have all of these intersections, but like as the head of diversity, like you have to, you know, be in charge. You don't always get to be like personally show up because you need, you're there to support others. And that's, that's a bargain that we make and that we opt into. But I would say it is really in the last year that I felt a sense of belonging at Culture Mm -hmm. Amp. And the reason Mm -hmm. actually was because of something really terrible that happened. Um, So I'm, I'm on the bipolar spectrum. Um, I have bipolar type one and And earlier this year, just because of the stress of 2020, some personal things that were happening, I ended up having a manic episode and needing to be in the hospital for about a week earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And I was, as you can imagine, it was to go to your, to your boss and be like, I'm bipolar. Um, I had, um, was a very scary experience and to go to my team and tell them, you know, I have this mental disability, afraid about stigma, afraid about not being seen as competent, you know, and absolutely everyone at culture amp has been like, I could almost cry like phenomenal. Yeah. Like my boss was like, my only priority is that you're okay. I trust that you can do your job, but don't do your job until you're okay. My teammates were like, Oh my God, are you all right? Like, we're so excited to have you back. Like it was just so for me, like belonging has come when I actually had an opportunity to be authentic about myself as a disabled leader. And, and that's not an identity that's always super salient to me. But anyway, that's the story that kind of changed my life. And I've always been really passionate about building belonging for others. But I feel like I have an even deeper understanding now of why it's crucial. And I think that is part of my fire and my motivation is if I have this feeling, why would I not want to give it to everybody else? Yes. Yeah. Like, right. This is not pie. Uh-huh. Like, we don't have to fight over the last slice. Like, let's all feel this way. Uh-huh. And how do, and how do each of us take steps to be thoughtful about creating that for other people? Yeah. Because I think that's the important part. Absolutely. Well, you raise a really key fundamental part about what I talk about a lot when it comes to self-care in HR, mental health in HR. Um, as an HR professional, feeling like you're able to bring your entire human to work, whatever that looks like. Um, for me, it was being able to say to my boss, look, I have ADHD and I also mm-hmm. suffer from depression. But considering mm-hmm. the job and the field that I'm in, likely will be possible that I will have depressive states every once in a while because mm-hmm. sometimes you hear the most hard, horrible, sad stories on the job that you could possibly think of. Therapy has been my savior. Coaching has been a help for me. So, you know, I'm now pivoting to do this. Magnify HR voices, magnify the things that are happening in our space and bring awareness so that HR professionals will feel more psychologically safe with saying something about their state. But what advice would you give to any HR professional who's listening to this podcast today that is struggling to tell their leadership what is wrong with them, whether they are depressed, whether they are bipolar on the spectrum, whatever that situation is that is going to hinder them from bringing their entire human to work every day, what advice do you have for them? I would say, don't put so much pressure on yourself to like tell leadership right away. So start with something that might feel more feasible. Like maybe you have a work bestie 
or something, right? And maybe you can disclose to them first, right? Like get some personal support for it. I also think it's okay to, if you're not comfortable for in, say in the disability space, you don't have to give people the details. I'm super open about being bipolar uh, because frankly, when I was diagnosed, there weren't a lot of stories about people like me. And so I want to talk so that somebody else looking for a story can find at least one. Yes. Um, but, but I think that's it is, is let yourself be authentic in smaller spaces if that's what's available to you right now. So mm-hmm. I would say if your company has, especially like a disability ERG, go seek out your people. It's really normal and it's awesome to find support, right? Find out what people at your organization have done, because I think that might also be a way to check to see if it's safe for you to come out um, as disabled, right? Rely on the community, let them know, um, let them know that you're, you're looking for support because what I've found is that when those communities form and you tap into them, they are really transformational. So find your people at work before you put the onus on yourself to disclose, especially if you find it challenging or very scary, find some moral support first. Um, second, I would also check to make sure that your company has anti-discrimination policies and accommodations and adjustments policies, um, like just get yourself supported in that way. And also that can be protective, right? So making Mm -hmm, sure that mm -hmm. your company has that. But ultimately the one thing I would say is, and this is a, I'm curious for your thoughts on this. So I'm going to throw this out here and then I'm I'm throwing a question back at you. I'm breaking the rules. Okay. Um, But so I often talk about the difference between bringing your whole self and bringing your authentic self. Yeah. And it's a, it's kind of a, you know, it's a semantic difference, but what I'm trying to get at is this idea of like, we don't have to bring every bit of ourselves to work if we don't want to. And so I would encourage people to do the exercise of thinking about like, which pieces are really important for me to show up at work. Like for me, because I have to be careful about like manic episodes, for example, I kind of had to tell my boss, like it was a thing I needed to do. Not everyone is in that situation. Exactly. And so, and so is, I would say, don't put pressure on yourself to bring things into the workplace that you don't feel are actually things you want, need, or are going to benefit. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a really good point. Um, and a really good way of putting it. So like, as you bring your, authentic self to work um it doesn't mean you have to bring everything with you and like there's and there are some people who I want to be like you have discriminatory opinions you better keep those at home you can't bring your whole self to work yes yeah you're bad (laughs) you're bad (laughs) not you (laughs) I have to agree thank you so much for sharing that Orby I really appreciate it And I know I'm looking forward to, I'm always reading culture and reports. I'm always looking at what you guys are doing and sharing it with my audience. I I recently discovered TikTok and I've been enjoying sharing videos on TikTok. And I did a a video recently on culture. What's your, wait, you have to tell me your TikTok handle so I can follow (laughs) you now. (laughs) I will tell you it. I am Julie Turney. So, um, so I did a video on TikTok recently. I was talking about performance management and I shared, um, culture as part of that amazing tech that I think people should go take a look at. And I was like, go look at culture and go read some of their reports as well, because they do focus on HR. I think culture was one of the first places that I actually found a report that was on 
HR for HR specific mm-hmm. um, to self-care in HR. And it was like kudos to, to Culture App. I, I need to become an advocate for Culture App. We need, we need to talk about that after the podcast. <laughs> Oh my God. You, well, you're already an advocate. So we got to get you in our partner program. Yeah, something, 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 something's <laughs> going to happen. Well, we're, we're just making it official. That's okay. All that's all we're doing. That's all we're doing. Aubrey, tell my audience, what are you listening to, watching, reading right now that you think they will enjoy as HR professionals? Yes. So I'm one of the things I've, so going back to your beautiful HR for HR point, I loved that project where it was like care for the carers. Yes. So one of the things that I've been doing that's been just incredibly helpful in managing like the ups and downs of this job is meditation. Mm -hmm. And I know like it sounds very woo woo, but I'm telling you, like I am more together and um, there's this incredible advocate for for meditation and mindfulness. I love the calm up and I, and I share it with my clients. I do seven days of mindfulness every day of the week. <laughs> I love it. It's so, so good. good. Also, also, we should shout out to Calm because Calm yes. gave free subscriptions to HR professionals. They so but they took it back. I know, that's true. They they did. I just paid. I paid for it. I, I yeah, was, I, was so I got the free but... subscription for a year, and I was sharing it with my clients. And I'm wondering if it was my fault that <laughs> they took it back. <laughs> no, no, I think, but it was, but like that, you know, that caring for the carers, but a book that I'm really like loving and resonating with right now is, is the inner work of racial justice. So it's, mm. it's about mindfulness and racial justice. It's by uh, Rhonda McGee, I believe okay. um, is the author. Um, but it's just a really beautiful book and it's helping connect these areas of my life that felt like relevant in the sense that I did both of them, but it's right. giving me a, a deeper understanding. And I think a deeper ability to, to understand all of these concepts within, mm-hmm. within the work better. So that one yes. I'm really loving. Um, I am reading a book called this bridge called my back, which is a very classic anthology of radical writings from women of color um, oh, wow. by Sherry Moraga and uh, Gloria Anzaldúa. Um, so I've read it before, but it's like good. It's just, good like, read it again yeah. reading and um I find that whenever I'm feeling a little out of joint reading something that's from Chicana feminism is like very grounding for me okay. because that's you know feels yes. connected to my personal heritage mm-hmm. um and then I'm also reading um this book called touched with fire um mm-hmm. which is about the connection between creativity and bipolar disorder oh. um so but a lot of the reason that I read these books is because I think that it gives me window into the life experiences of people who are either different from me. So even though I say I'm bipolar, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's most disabilities are big, broad categories and lots of different experiences within them. And so, and so for me, I spend a lot of time reading, you know, these types of very political texts, but it's because it helps me understand better what are the priorities from different communities? What are the struggles and what are the, the unique gifts yes. that different communities bring to the world? Because mm-hmm. I think that helps me design better for the workplace. Yeah. So I don't read a lot of like business books right. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that I read. I could, I also will tell folks um, that if you want to know what I'm reading, uh, I am on Goodreads and yes. my name is Aubrey Blanche. It's a funny oh, name. I'm going to so, find you. 
Yeah. So if you find me on Goodreads, I track everything I read by year. Um, okay. so, you, so, and my, my reading list is like a good window into my brain. So anyone can go check that out online. Awesome. I, I keep it public just in case it's interesting. Oh, that's so cool. I'll definitely go and check it out. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. So my big question, what is the one thing, and in this case, I'm going to put it to DEI. What is the one biggest misconception about DEI that leaders have that you know people outside of the space have including some HR professionals um, that you want to set the record straight on right here right now that one thing that grinds you that people get wrong about DEI that you want to set the record straight on I think that people think that it's fluffy or like unrigorous like I think there's this this sort of belief that it's going to be like kumbaya and Mm -hmm. you know like sitting around and there's nothing wrong with that first of all like Mm -hmm. let's all sit around outside a campfire but but I think that that it it has rigor to it and that doesn't mean everyone is practicing DEI in a rigorous way but that there's an incredible wealth of practitioners out there who are who have deeply informed theories of systemic change many of whom are working on the more analytical side but also people who are just excellent at change management and community organizing so that's the first thing that people get wrong is they see it as, as fluffy or unserious or too um like too ethereal to measure and to hold accountable for i think that's just wrong Mm -hmm. and then the second piece is i think people think that saying like i care is enough so you see this with companies who put out these reports that are like we care about creating a diverse and inclusive organization and i i I don't resonate with those things because i don't think anyone believes them and so from my perspective i would rather hear from a company that says here's what we committed to, here's what we did, here's the out- like outcome of that, yeah. and here's what we're doing in response to that outcome. Okay. I think that that is a much better way to communicate about this mm-hmm. work. And I think if we were more intentional about communicating that way, I think it might solve the first problem. Yes. Yes, that is powerful. And I could not agree with you more. Well, I got to ask you this. Like, I don't normally ask side questions, but <laughs> I got to ask you this as a side question. Me anything. I had a guest uh, um, last week on my LinkedIn live show. Her name is Shereen Daniels, and Mm -hmm. she is all about racial equity in the workplace. And one Mm -hmm. thing that Shereen said that stood out for me was that racial equity is more, is a broader topic than diversity, equity, inclusion. So like you could almost separate race, like race needs to be separated and stand alone on its own. When we talk about that, because when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think a lot of times when we talk about that diversity, that different piece, Um, A lot of people don't resonate it to mental health um, and Mm. neurodiversity. I don't think a lot of people understand that. And then also in having another conversation with another amazing lady, Dr. Joy Cox, she wrote a book called Fat Girls in Black Bodies that I, I absolutely love. And one of the conversations I was having with her was about body shaming and body, um, and, and does that fall under diversity, equity, and inclusion? Diversity, that diversity piece. In terms of you don't get a job because you're a certain body type, like because I'm plus size, I wouldn't be considered for certain positions because I'm plus size and I'm black <laughs> and I have a neurodiversity. You know, those are broader conversations that I don't think a lot of us are having. What are your thoughts on on those two things? Should racial equity be separate and distinct? 
And should we be talking more about neurodiversity and body shaming? So I'll say yes to all of that. I don't know that I would have like communicated it as like racial equity should be separate from DEI, but I think we end up at the same place, which is that like diversity, equity, and inclusion has failed the project of racial equity. And so I think it's a really, really fair. And I, I, I kind of like the, the idea that like, maybe we just take it out. And it's kind of what we've tried to do at Culture Amp, which is, you know, we've had, I got, we got rid of DEI and we talk about equitable design internally, but we have focused for the last 18 months, basically exclusively on racial equity within our programs. We still look after other types of equity, but the broad-based education we were doing, the focused populations from a mentoring and career development perspective were focused on our black and otherwise racially minoritized employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like vehemently agree with that idea. I think that diversity has failed the project of equity. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes down to the fact that D&I for so long was really just about like what thin, economically privileged white women faced as barriers. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. It's like I vehemently believe that like diversity has failed the project of racial equity, disability equity. And then I really appreciate you bringing up this idea around fat phobia in the workplace because it's real and pervasive. And one thing that I wanted to call out a piece of information for your listeners yeah. is So I believe it was Project Implicit from Harvard, but don't quote me on that part, but a very well-respected body showed that over the last sort of five to 10 years that different types of racial and other animus have gone down, Um, but um, sort of the bias that exists against people of size or Mm -hmm. larger folks has not. Yeah. And so I want to call that out because I love that you've brought that into the conversation. And I vehemently agree that it's an equity issue. Mm-hmm. People, we shouldn't be body shaming people. People shouldn't have opportunities taken from them because they're of size. Because first of all, that's a white supremacist notion anyway, right? That's just like mm-hmm. prioritizing standard white bodies mm-hmm. over, over what the majority of the globe actually looks like. <laughs> It's true. Like I, I remember, so, I remember um, Dr. Cox saying in our conversations is like, you know, if you're in Nigeria and you're a black woman of size, you're celebrated. Mm-hmm. So like to be, you know, ha- not live in that space and still and have to be and be fat shamed, like it's, I don't it's know, horrifying. It's hor- absolutely mortifying. Absolutely mortifying. Yeah. So I, from my perspective, I think there should be room for that. I I also think what you said was, I just want to plus one that I'm seeing more and more discussion on disability equity within DEI circles. And I'm really heartened by that. Um, I think the biggest, you know, I think that disability and dealing with fat phobia have, um, have similarities in that there is more stigma Um, associated with talking about those. So there's definitely certainly like hesitation and fragility Mm -hmm. when talking Mm -hmm. about race, but there's a different, uh, at least in my experience, so speaking from my personal experience, there is much more shame around talking around disability and around issues of body size. And I would wish for that to go away because I don't think we can tackle those systems of oppression without, without being willing to talk about it. And that goes back to I would really encourage people who feel they can and have the ability. So important conditions, especially if you're disabled, especially if you're a person of size, that you speak about those experiences because they're important and they're valuable Mm -hmm. and they're a part of humanity. And we're all diminished when we don't have those stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will be talking about it more. Trust me. 
Thank you so much for being here, Orby. I really appreciate it. Let me ask you my last question. What is next for Orby Blanche? What's next? Um, I am starting to, so with my, my business, um, the next thing there is I'm moving more into coaching. Um, so I'm working with more leaders to coach them, to help them on their equitable leadership journeys. So I'm really excited about that. I love working one-on-one with folks and helping them sort of align their intentions and their visions for themselves with the way they're showing up. Like that's just like energizer bunny to me. And then at culture amp, you know, I'm, I'll be there for the foreseeable future. I love, I love the team. And really it's about um, the next thing that we're focused on is really starting our disability and accessibility program internally. So beginning to layer that in with our anti-racism program, and then also starting to think about how we can, in a more structured way, support our customers on their equity and evolution journeys. So big focus on Culture Amp's customers and helping them drive change for their people And then, yeah, really starting to think about disability equity in-house. Awesome. I love it. I'm there for all of it, whatever, however I can get in through the door. I'm going to live vicariously through you. (laughs) Amazing. Well, we are always happy to have you. Thank you so much, Arby. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. It was great having this conversation with you. And I look forward to to continuing having great conversations with you in the future. Absolutely. It's an honor to get to get included on this. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms. At I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms. Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next Sound Off.